Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. As we return to this chapter, last week we focused on verses 1 through 4. Today we will be looking at verses 5 through 7. But I will read, uh, as we did last week, we'll read verses 1 through 8 of Isaiah chapter 6. word of the Lord says in Isaiah 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray for God's help as we look at his word now. Lord, you tell us that the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, and that all flesh is like grass. We come before you, the holy God. We are like grass. But we thank you that your word stands forever, that it speaks truth to us, that it gives life to us. And so we pray, God, that you would have mercy upon us who are like grass. We pray that you would show your mercy by speaking to us, by helping us, And by giving us your spirit so that we might know and understand what these words are that you desire to say to us. And that your spirit might help us to obey. That we might glorify you. Lord, we pray that you would do this for your name's sake. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you probably know about this event in 1986 when a nuclear power plant had a meltdown at a place called Chernobyl, which is now in Ukraine. And when the nuclear plant started its meltdown and and started emitting radioactive particles, uh, this caused all kinds of damage damage that is still seen and its effects today. Uh, Basically, everybody evacuated. Uh, Basically, nobody lives in Chernobyl anymore. And there is a a giant concrete shell that is enclosing this uh, nuclear reactor. And all kinds of effects happened. Uh, Some people died, but it also uh, affected the soil and the water and the animals and the plants. And so they discovered things like these animals who were just having uh, disabled or deformed uh, baby animals because of the exposure to the radiation. So you probably know about that event, but let's imagine that nobody took that disaster seriously. 
everyone took it lightly. And so here we have all these radioactive particles flying through the air, getting into the water and into the soil, but nobody thinks it's really a big deal. And so everybody goes about their lives in Chernobyl, driving up and down the street, going to their jobs, going out to eat at dinner. They're all fighting over politics and who's going to rule Chernobyl. They're all arguing with each other about the best laws that need to be put in place in Chernobyl. And all the while, they are sitting around radiation. All the while, these particles are eating them away. They have nosebleeds. They have deformities. They have hair falling out. But they don't think anything of it. They have gatherings once a week where they get around for some pep talks and people dress up as Toy Story characters to try to tell people how to have good and happy lives. And there might even be some sincere people who in these gatherings once a week want to learn how to and tell people how to help people, how to help people have better families, how to help uh, rescue the poor out of their poverty. But all the while ignoring this great danger of the radiation that is literally killing them day by day. Well, I think most of you probably know where all of this is going. But this is how people treat the holiness of God. People act as if the holiness of God is something to be taken lightly. That God himself and the reality of God in the universe is, is really not such a big deal. And people go throughout their days and throughout their lives worrying about their jobs and how much money they're going to make, priding themselves over their successes, arguing about legislation, all the while ignoring the biggest problem. The problem that there is a holy God all around. A holy God who sees everything that they do. And especially in the church. The church is to have a regard for the holiness of God. When we get together, he is with us, and we must not take it lightly. We looked at the holiness of God last week in the first four verses. We saw what Isaiah saw, that God was so great, so big, that as God revealed himself in just a small way, Isaiah saw only the hem of the robe as God was seated on the throne. Isaiah saw burning angels on fire with the glory of God who themselves have to cover their faces before the holiness of God. Isaiah heard the choir of angels singing holy, 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 showing us that they never get bored of praising the holy God and showing us that holiness is of the very essence of who God is. It is what it means to be God. It is part of his being at the core. God is holy. He is three times holy. Isaiah felt the doorposts shake and he saw the house filled with smoke. So now... How will Isaiah respond? Will Isaiah's life go on just as normal? Will Isaiah respond to this vision by thinking about how he's going to pay the bills? Will he respond to this vision by going out and campaigning for a political committee? No, Isaiah responds with an understanding of the most important reality of his life and of the world, that he has faced this holy God. And this has to change him. This has to have an effect 
on his life. So we want to see today what that effect is. First, it's very simple, he sees a sense of his own sin. And then second, he gets a sense of God's grace. And so these are very simple points, but profound and life-changing if we will take them to heart. This is the most important thing that you need to think about in your life. First, you have to have a sense of your own sin, because the reality is we face a holy God, and we will one day be face-to-face with him at the judgment seat, and we will have to give an account to this God. Let's read Isaiah's response again, his sense of sin in verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Maybe you've had nightmares. You've had scary dreams. A lot of scary dreams involve you thinking that you're going to die. And so you're having this nightmare, maybe somebody's chasing you or something like this, or you're falling off a building, and usually it's at the point where the person is about to kill you, or you're about to die, you're about to fall and hit the ground, that you wake up. You wake up in a sweat. You were dreaming that you were dying. Well, Isaiah here has so far in this story just been an observer of what's going on. Isaiah has only been observing God. God hasn't spoken to him. The seraphim haven't been singing to him. They weren't talking to him. They're not doing anything to him. He's just looking at God. But now he feels that just by observing this, that he is going to die. Like he is coming undone. Woe is me, he says. In chapter 5, we saw the woes that come upon the wicked people. Six woes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil and many other woes that God gave to Israel. Woe means you face the judgment of God. Uh, In verse 16 of chapter 5, if you maybe just turn a page back, you see it says, The holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. The holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. In righteousness. When the Holy God shows Himself, it brings woe upon sinners. God hasn't, doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to come at you. He doesn't have to come attack you. He just shows Himself. And already you will feel like you are going to die, like the judgment is coming upon you. Woe is me. Isaiah says, woe is coming upon me. God's judgment is coming upon me. Then he says, I am undone. I am under woe for or because I am undone. ESV says lost. Lost is not a good word to use there. Isaiah doesn't feel like he's wandering in the woods and can't find his way back home. No, Isaiah is undone. He feels like he is ruined, your Bible might say. The word literally is the word that means silent. I am silent. And what it means by silent is it's referring to the silence of death. Perishing is how the word is translated in other verses that are referring to death. This is what Isaiah feels like. Isaiah feels like he is silent because He doesn't exist anymore. He's ceasing to exist. That's why we would say he's coming undone. 
like a fabric, a piece of clothing you might have, and you see a string that is loose, and so you start to pull the string. And you pull, and you pull, and you pull. If you keep pulling, then that piece of fabric will come undone. You'll have a pile of string instead of a piece of clothing. When Isaiah faces the holiness of God, it's like that string is being pulled, and he feels it. He feels himself coming apart. And he's going to turn into a pile. And what is Isaiah made of? Isaiah is made of dust. All human beings formed from the ground of the earth, we're made out of dust. Isaiah, because he's made out of dust, is also, and, and because he is also a, a sinner, he's going to face death. All people. We are these temporary jars of clay where our bodies are just made out of dust that will one day disintegrate. And so Isaiah is feeling that. It's as if he's feeling that happening. He's feeling the dusts just start to fall back into the ground. Uh, Thomas Boston says, It is a greater wonder that dust walks upon dust than that dust lies in the dust. It's a wonder that by the mercy of God, you and I, made out of dust, walk on this dust for all the days of our lives, for the years that God gives us. Because what we really deserve and in our natural state as sinful people before a holy God, what we deserve is just to disintegrate and turn back into that dust. We deserve death. And so this is what Isaiah is feeling. He's unraveling. He's turning into nothingness. He feels undone. Then he says, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. In the original language, one of the ways to emphasize things sometimes is you can uh, do some gra grammar things where you can put things at the front of a sentence. And a lot of times when they put things at the front, it's for emphasis. And so this is what Isaiah does here. He, he talks what in English would sound the way Yoda would talk or sounds the way Dr. Seuss would write a book. But it makes sense in Hebrew, but he's, he's emphasizing something. And so the way that he says it is he's focusing on the subject at the front. It would sound like this. A man of unclean lips, I am. A people of unclean lips, I live among. And the king, the Lord of hosts, my eyes have seen. And so you see he's putting the subject at the beginning as a way to emphasize the subjects, and it's making a contrast. The contrast is between the fact that Isaiah is a man and these are people versus the king. You can't have the king and the man together and uh, existing in harmony in this condition because he's a man made out of dust and he is a man of unclean lips. Why does Isaiah say that he has unclean lips? Why doesn't he say, I'm an unclean man? Or I am unclean. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Well, some people might say, well, maybe it's because he has just been in the presence of a worship service. He's been in the presence of seraphim who are praising God endlessly, singing out holy, holy, holy. And when Isaiah witnesses this, he is aware of the fact that his lips cannot praise God the way the seraphim do. Because his lips are unclean. He knows that he would be a hypocrite to then join in the choir and shout holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
And he dwells amidst people of unclean lips. And so there's a sense in which he is guilty by association as he is surrounded by all of this uncleanness. Isaiah knows that he can't praise God when those very same lips have been used in anger towards others. When those lips have been used to curse others, to speak dishonest words that violate the law of God, when those lips have taken God's name in vain, when he is the holy, holy, holy Lord of hosts. And Isaiah would say, I've taken God's holy, precious name and I've, I've used it in vain. I've used it like as part of jokes. And, and now I'm going to try to actually praise him with these same lips. I can't do that. Isaiah is saying what James chapter 3 says about our tongues. This problem that all of us have. James 3 says the tongue is a restless evil. The tongue uh, is set on fire by the course of hell and it can devour. It can burn things down. With our tongues we can burn a church down. You can burn your family down. You can burn a relationship. Any relationship that you have with other people, you can burn it down just with your tongue. James says that that little bitty part of your body can cause such destruction. And so James says, we use that tongue to curse others in one moment and then in the next moment to bless God our Father. What hypocrisy, James is saying. That's the idea of what Isaiah is feeling. What about you? Are your lips unclean? Do you use your mouth in this way? Perhaps it's dishonesty, gossip, cruelty, anger. Maybe you did it this morning. Maybe you yelled at your kids, kids, get in the car. We got to make it to the worship of God. We can't be late. And so, in the span of a few minutes, you're yelling in anger. And then you show up and open a hymnal to praise the Holy God. Are we not hypocrites? Are we not hypocrites in the way that we speak to one another? In the way that we speak to our families, to our spouses and our children, and then open our lips to praise God? We are people of unclean lips. We need to be cleansed. Now there's probably, I think, another reason why Isaiah speaks of himself as a man of unclean lips. And it's because he's a prophet. He's a prophet. And it's his work to preach the word of God. To prophesy what God reveals to him. And so Isaiah would feel even more this burden that as a, as a man who represents the words of God, who speaks, in his case, infallible words from God, how could he then turn around in a few minutes and be so careless with his words to use those same lips to sin against others, to burn things down? Isaiah is a prophet. And so he talks about the lips because this is at the core of who he is. This is, this is what people know about him. He is Isaiah the prophet. Even his wife, his wife is called the prophetess in chapter 8. And she's not, she doesn't actually prophesy, but she's married to the prophet. And so like, that's her identity as the prophetess. And Isaiah is the prophet. He is the great prophet. And so he knows that this is at the core of who he is before God. And so even this part of him he recognizes is impure. 
This is probably not Isaiah's conversion. And so I don't think that, although there are, there are principles and there's relevance to looking at this passage and what someone needs to know to, to come to know Christ and to be saved, you know, you've got to know the holiness of God and you've got to know your sin and you've got to know forgiveness. That's all true. But this isn't about an unbeliever becoming saved. This is about someone who knows God, who has walked with God, and yet aware again as he faces the holiness of God in a very real and direct way, aware of how he has failed at this deepest point where God has called him to serve him. So I think there's application for all of us that even when we are followers of Christ, God and his holiness is going to reveal the impurities that we have. And he's going to go for the deepest parts of you. The things that you value most, the things that you treasure most, the things that you are most proud of. He's going to go for that and reveal if there are any impurities in us. It's like if you've had a wound, a surgery, and you have those stitches over the wound and it's a little bit infected and the doctor comes and he says, what's the scale on one to ten? And then he presses right on the wound. He presses the burning infection and you feel it burning. And you say, 10, 10, yeah, it's 10. That's what God is going to do for his people. That's what God does for his children. He won't let us escape. He's going to go for the wounds that are the sorest to reveal This is what you really love. This is what you really cherish. This is how you identify yourself. This is what you need to repent of. I'm going to wait because I can't talk during that thing. So, sorry. So, God will reveal our impurities. So, you remember the rich young ruler when Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler and he said, Go and sell all that you have, give it away to the poor so that you might come and follow me. Jesus wasn't teaching there that every Christian to be a Christian has to give away everything that they have. But he knew that this was what the rich young ruler was holding on to. He knew that this is how this man, uh, this was his, the core of his needs and his identity. And so Jesus says, you have to give that up. And so this is the point of what the holiness of God is doing for Isaiah, revealing this to him. And this is what God does for us. What is it that you are proud of? What is it that you hold on to? Intellect, physical abilities, physical strength, charisma, beauty, hard work, making money, 
Being a family man, being a homemaker, being a housewife, being a homeschool mom. God's holiness sees through all the impurities in all of those areas. And we need to repent. Realize that we are unclean. And for the one who is an unbeliever here, maybe you are not following Christ. Do you see yourself as unclean? Do you see your need for rescue? Because you face a holy God. There's a man who fed half of the world. He figured out a way to feed half of the world. I wonder if you would say that that man was a good man. And that he did some good things. And maybe you would look at Isaiah, the prophet, and you say, wow, Isaiah, he's a prophet. He's a great man. But Isaiah says he's unclean. What about this man? What if, he, what if you could feed half the world? Well, let me tell you. This man is named Fritz Haber. He won a Nobel Prize in chemistry in the 1900s for developing what was came ammonia that was used in fertilizer. And so basically he invented fertilizer, which was able to massively produce all the crops. And so people say that he has fed half of the world because of what he invented. But there's more to his story. He was a Jew in Germany. And during World War I, he was working for the German military. And he invented chemical weapons. Some of the same knowledge that he used to create the fertilizer that would feed half the world, he also used to create chemical weapons so that gases could travel uh, through the air to the other side of the trench and suffocate soldiers to death. And after World War I, Hitler came into power, and because he was a Jew, uh, Haber had to leave Germany. He would go to places like England, and people wanted nothing to do with him because he was uh, someone who invented chemical weapons. And so he died. He died alone, disgraced, and unknown. But then there's one more aspect of his life which is that after he died, the German scientists for the Nazis, they went into his labs in his office and they found this chemical that is called Zyklon A that, that Haber was working on. And they modified it and created this chemical called Zyklon B. And it was Zyklon B that was then used in the gas chambers of the concentration camps. And so the gas that Haber himself was working on is what killed even some of his own family members. Haber is a description of what the world is like and what people are like. How sin and evil infects everything in this world. He can do some great things like feed half the world and the same person can do work that kills Jews in a concentration camp that develops chemical weapons. If the holiness of God were to penetrate Fritz Haber, he would see all his uncleanness. He would have no pride no self-righteousness over the ability that he had, that he has fed half of the world. But he would realize everything that he had done that was evil and unclean. And so it was with Isaiah, the great prophet. And so it should be with every single one of you. You should put absolutely no confidence in your own righteousness. Put no confidence in anything good that you have ever done because before the holiness of God, you are unclean. 
And so we need a solution to this problem. We've seen the sense of sin in verse 5. Now we see a sense of grace in verses 6 and 7. So I'll read it again. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Uh, we'll keep going. Pretend that you don't know the story here. We've just read the story, but pretend that you don't know it. So here we are. Isaiah has seen all this with the vision of God. Isaiah says, woe to me, I am undone. So he's literally feeling like he's coming apart. He feels like he's dying. And now he sees a seraphim burning angel is flying towards him with a coal. What, is, what does he think is going to happen? Now he's, he's really sure that he's going to die. He's coming to finish me off. He's, he's going to burn me with this coal or something. And so here is the seraphim flying towards him. And he touches his lips with a coal. Now Isaiah doesn't tell us He says, ouch. He doesn't tell us. This really burned. This made a scar on my lips. He he gives us no information about what happened to him. He just says, it touched my mouth. Now we get a hint of what happened just with that word, touch. It wasn't placed upon his lips, pushed down upon his lips. It was a a touch. It must have just been pretty brief, pretty quick touch of the lips, but the lips were sensitive. You get punched in the mouth, that hurts a lot more than getting punched in the arm. Lips are sensitive, and so a coal on the lips would have burned. And so he just touches his lips. Well, that's what happens. But then we get the interpretation of what happens. The seraphim says, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So this is a symbol of Isaiah being forgiven of his sins. The first statement, your guilt is taken away or your iniquity is taken away. Iniquity and guilt mean the same thing. We sin, and so uh, we need our sin or our guilt to be taken away. Taken away is like the, it's, it's dissipated. When the coal touches his lips, the, the, the guilt is dissipated. Just like the holiness of God repels sin and pushes sin away, so the grace of God pushes away the guilt of sin. So the only way for the holy God to be in the presence of someone who has sinned is for the sin to be pushed away, that guilt to be pushed away. And symbolically this is done here with the coal that touches the lips. The next statement that we get is your sin is atoned for. Sin Disobedience to the law of God creates a debt. And that's what this word that in English is atoned for is the word for cover. And it's about covering a debt. When you go to coffee or a restaurant with someone and you go to pay, you say, I'll cover it. Because you now owe that place a debt and somebody has to cover it. And so you're going to cover it for someone else. And so the word covering here in the Old Testament means that we have a debt to God. God has created us. He is due our worship and our allegiance and our obedience. We have disobeyed him. We have rejected his rules. And so that puts us in a debt and that debt needs to be covered. That's what the word atoned means. For means atonement. 
Now you notice the seraphim does not tell Isaiah that he is unclean. Isaiah says, I am unclean. The seraphim says, you are guilty. You're a sinner. Isaiah's problem was worse than even he thought the problem was. This is why we need the word of God. Not our feelings, not other people's opinions, but you go to the word of God to find out what your real problem is. Now, Isaiah did sense uncleanness, but to be unclean in the Old Testament is not the same as to be guilty or to be a sinner. This idea of uncleanness comes from uh, the law of Moses and Leviticus, and, and you've read Leviticus, and you know all sorts of things are unclean. You're, you're a rock badger, you're unclean. You're a camel, you're unclean. It's unclean when a, a woman has just given birth, and so she must separate herself. But none of these things are sin. You're not, you're not a sinner for giving birth. You're not a sinner for being a camel. Uncleanness and sin aren't the same thing. Sin means you have a debt. You have guilt. Uncleanness is just a ritual impurity according to the laws of Israel to make yourselves look different from the nations around you. And so God says, no, your problem is guilt. Objectively, you're a criminal. You've broken the law and you face a penalty. And this is what needs to be covered. And so he says, your sin is covered. The sin is covered from the altar. The coal that comes from the altar. Verse 6. And so we see clearly that this is a, a reference to the sacrificial system. It's a, the altar in the temple of the sacrifices that would be offered. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 says that uh, there was to be uh, the altar of sacrifice that would be constantly lit. There would always be, need to be wood placed into the altar to have the fire burning always over and over again. And so when Isaiah sees here the temple and he sees the altar there uh, and the coal comes from that altar, it's because that altar was always filled with wood that was burning. And that shows us, first of all, Israel always had a need. That's why it always had to be burning. It's because Israel would always have a need for a sacrifice. Whether it's two in the morning or two in the afternoon, people would need a sacrifice. They didn't always come. They usually didn't come at two in the morning, but they could. And so that was the second point, is that not only does it show that they always needed it, but there was always a provision for their sin. They could come any time. They could come as many times as they wanted. They could come over and over, and the altar was always open to them to have the sacrifice made to reflect the forgiveness of their sins. And so Isaiah's sins are atoned for from this altar, this altar that offered the sacrifice pointing to the forgiveness of sins through the sacrificial lamb that was always open to the people of God. For us today, if you were to go into the heavenly temple right now, the same one that Isaiah saw, but if you go there now and you look, you will see that at the right hand of God, is a living lamb who was slain. It is Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain but is now alive. And Jesus Christ stands there before the altar, before the throne of God as the sacrifice that already has been made. And he stands there and Hebrews tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. The altar is always open. Jesus is always there. 
He is always alive. The sacrifice was already made and now he ever lives and he's constantly there because you constantly have a need, because you're constantly sinning, because you never truly regard the holiness of God and you have so much impurity that needs to be cleansed, but you can always go to the altar. You always have your great high priest ever living to intercede for you. And you always will see him sprinkling the blood upon the mercy seat. His blood that has already been shed. The sacrifice of Christ has been made so that we can go to Christ at any time. As many times as we want. You can keep coming. And you will always find an open altar. Jesus and his work on the cross is what this coal from the altar points us forward to. But this sacrifice came at the great cost of the life and blood of Jesus himself. Jesus experienced a whole lot more than just a coal touching his lips. But he experienced the full wrath of God. And if the holiness of God makes a seraph cover his face, who is sinless but a creature, and if the holiness of God makes Isaiah come undone as one person who has sinned, what did the holiness of God do to Jesus Christ in his human nature as he took on not the sins of one person, But he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. He was the one who was made to be sin. He is the one who took on himself the sins of every single one of the people of God. Every single sin. He took on the guilt for millions upon millions that many might be saved. If one person comes undone because of one person's sin. What was it like for Christ to experience this full wrath of God? What was it like for him as the Holy One of Israel, the Holy God himself, and the Holy Man, the only man who ever lived perfectly, the only man who had no guilt and no sin, The man who was clean in every way. Who had no impurities in his life. Ever. And yet he, the one holy man, experienced the holiness of God against the sins of many. Crushed. Crushed by the holiness of God. Crushed for our iniquities. So that there would be a throne of grace. So that the altar would be open to you. You look at this passage and you see your problem is worse than you ever thought. The holiness of God burns right through us and reveals all kinds of impurity. And you probably don't even know it. No, no, the half of it. And yet, these verses reveal we have a greater hope than we could have ever imagined. The opportunity to come to the altar, to have our sins forgiven. Isaiah receives God's grace free. Notice the seraphim's words. They are not... Isaiah, try better next time. But they are, Isaiah, this has been done. It's done. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And so we can say through through messengers preaching the word of God that to everyone who puts faith in Jesus Christ, relies upon him, there's nothing else that you must do. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Christ has done it. 
The sacrifice has been made upon the sacrificial altar. Believe the promise. Live in light of the promise. Don't go away taking these things lightly. If you are undone, undone by your sin, undone by the sight of the holiness of God, come and receive the only covering available for your sins. Know this promise. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Lord, we pray that you would give your spirit to search our hearts. Who knows what is in man except the spirit of man? Who knows what is in God except the spirit of God? And we pray that your spirit would reveal the things of God to us and search us and show us more of who God is. Help us to ever grow in our awareness of your holiness. And impress the truths upon our hearts and minds for your people. Of our guilt taken away. Our sin atoned for. We praise you for Jesus Christ and his work. We thank you. We pray in his name.